Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I have approached Your throne often this week as I prepared uh, for this message. And I ask that you, would, that You would speak through me this morning, that Your words would be clear, that Your truth would be proclaimed. And ultimately, Father, You would be glorified this morning. Father, it is not about um, any of us in this room this morning, but it is about You and Your Son and the work that He's done on the cross. Again, Father, we ask that You would just continue to bless our time. And we ask this in Your Son's name. Amen. Our text this morning will be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Uh, We're kind of just picking back up in Ephesians. Did I say Philippians? Okay. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians. That's not good when you start off that way, right up. Like, it's even written in the notes. All right, our text for this morning will be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Um, But before we look at these verses, because it's been a, a couple... A week or so here, and, and we had Christmas and Christmas Eve service. I want to spend a few moments and step back and, and review briefly where we are in the book of Ephesians. If we look at, at verse 14 in chapter 3, we can read, For this reason I kneel before, or for this reason I kneel before the Father. And if we go back to the beginning of chapter 3 in verse 1, We can read, for this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ. We find ourselves in the middle of of these two, for these reasons. This parenthesis that that Paul has kind of thrusted us into. And and we're going to to look at at the very end of that parenthesis this morning. It's, It's as if Paul was in the midst of getting ready to pray and then deciding he needed to say a few more things about the mystery of Christ and the church. And, and these three verses that, that, that finish, that close this, these are powerful verses. Follow along with me in your, in your Bible as we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Hear now what God says. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. We're closing the chapter on another holiday season. Uh, For many, the decorations are are coming down and being packed away and children are getting ready to come back to school, which is a good thing. Most of the hustle and rush of the Christmas season is, is starting to become a fleeting memory. And for me, and I would assume for some of you, 
uh, one of those memories that you have over the holiday season is getting together with your family. Family. Hmm. Well, let me just um, say I love my family. I love my family a lot. But, but we're a family that's made up of, of, of people in different stages of life. We're a family that are, come with different views and ideas, priorities, different values, different ethics. We're, we're just a big variety. And I'll say it again, I love my family. I love my parents, my sister, her husband, their children, my brother, his children. See, I, I love them all. But it's during those times when we get together that I really get to see how different we are. And I wonder sometimes how we grew up in the same home, and yet it appears sometimes we have so very little in common. We cover the spectrum in my family. We have Republicans and we have Democrats. We have a PhD, a high school dropout, and then someone taking like 18 years to finish a four-year degree. We have faithfulness in marriage. We have infidelity. We have divorce. We have a two-parent household. We have a single-parent household. We have rich and poor. We have Christian and non-Christian. And this is just my immediate family. Imagine if I brought in my aunts and my uncles and my cousins. I mean, it's family. And we're going to spend some time this morning looking at at the church this morning. And I want you to keep in mind that we are a family. (laughs) A church family. And as a family, we have people in different stages of life with different views, ideas, different priorities, different values. We are full of variety. (laughs) I'll let you figure out who's the crazy uncle on your own, but we're a family and full of differences. I might even have more in common with my church family than I do with my own family. But let's remember here that Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ. In chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Uh, members together of one body. Uh, they are sharing together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That's the mystery that Paul's talking about. It's this diversity that, that makes up the church. This is what makes the church so amazing. Gentiles to become fellow heirs to the kingdom of God. The church is supposed to be made up of different people with different groups and different abilities. Jews and Gentiles. Different races, backgrounds, economic status, different ages, different ideas. We are to be full of variety. But a variety that falls under one Gospel. Let's look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made 
known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's just beautiful. I mean, manifold wisdom, rulers and authorities. Like, it's just poetry. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the church, that would be us, that would be me, that would be you, that would be us, the church. That, that we would reflect God's wisdom. Paul beautifully describes how, how the church is a witness to God's glory. The words manifold wisdom reflect this idea of something that is multicolored or diverse. The word manifold would have been used to describe Jacob's coat in the Old Testament during Paul's time. Joseph's coat. It's twice. In this one phrase, Paul completely reflects the divine wisdom of God's intent. God's intent to shape the church from sinners that are made perfect from every tribe, every nation, and every race. All of this is on display before the heavenly realms as a testimony to the wisdom of God, the Creator. The rulers and authorities in heaven are to look at those of us in the church with all of our sin, with all of our differing personalities, with all of our prejudice, with all of our struggles, and say, how did God do that? How did He get such difficult and disagreeable creatures together as one body to praise Him? The manifold wisdom of God, the God the Father, the Creator of all things, is really great. Through our redemption in Christ, as we stand as one body, we are preaching to the angels about the power, about the wisdom, and about the glory of the God who has made us. That is beautiful. God is using the church. God is using the church to display His glory to the heavens. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, What is happening in the church is so stupendous, so glorious, that even the bright angelic Beings who have spent their entire existence in the presence of God, even they are staggered and amazed at what they see in and through the church. Sin this causes me to ask, how can we take so lightly what God takes so seriously? The church is supposed to demonstrate God's great wisdom, to bring people together, to live with love, to live with joy, unity, harmony, and fellowship. We are to come alongside of each other and minister together for the glory of God. We get to be a part of this. This should bring you joy. This should bring you overwhelming sense of wonder this morning and amazement. That, that the manifold of God's wisdom is being shown through the church. I know I've made my point, but we get to be a part of this. 
Like, this is awesome. You are a part of the church. Philip Yancey spoke about a public television series he saw based on uh, interviews with survivors from World War II. The soldiers recalled how they spent a normal day. Uh, One spoke about he spent all day in a foxhole. Once or twice a German tank would go by and he'd shoot at it. Others played cards and, and found ways to waste away the time. A few got involved in, in, in firefights and, and, and would fire back and forth. And most of the days, though, it just passed like any other day for a soldier on the front line. Later, they learned that they had just participated in one of the largest, most decisive engagements of the war, the Battle of the Bulge. It did not feel decisive to any of them at that time because none of them had the view of the big picture of what was happening elsewhere. It's easy for us to go through our our, our Christian lives not seeing the big picture. Missing out on what's, what's really happening. As we come together as a church family, it's easy to miss the bigger picture. That God is using the church in all its variety and all of its differences to show His wisdom. His perfect plan from creation through redemption is a demonstration of God's great wisdom. Let's read in verse 11. According to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Anointed One. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, Deity. It's Jesus Christ our Lord that did it. As Jesus hangs on the cross, dying a death that we deserve, He declares, it is finished. All the work of mine and your redemption, our payment for our sin, what is necessary for the church to accomplish what God has set the church to accomplish, it's, it's finished. The work is done. That's why we don't have to do anything for our salvation. It's been accomplished. I was sitting in, in Starbucks yesterday not working on my sermon. And I overheard two women speaking very loudly about what was wrong with the church. And I know they were speaking loudly because I was in Starbucks and the music was playing and I had my earbuds in and I actually had to take my earbuds out to really hear what they were saying. But I was trying not to listen. <laughs> but, but, I, but they were talking about all their issues they had with the churches that they attend. And, and their issues were the way, the way things were making them feel, the programs that were going on, the styles of worship. Not once did they talk about the gospel was not being preached or that they were not praying together. 
They were not encouraging one another. It was this sense of feeling. And we can fall into this false sense of of unity as a church. A a sense of unity that's built on what the church offers. The, The feelings that it generates. The friends that we get to see each week. Too many feel that the church is sustained by its services that it provides or the amount of fellowship and good feelings that are amongst the congregation. Our desire to to find a form of sentimentality, to find a a warm and, and fuzzy feeling has become detrimental to the church and ministry. I've spent too many years at a church that was consumed with good feelings as the basis of their unity. And I witnessed firsthand time and time again that when good feelings go away due to conflict or struggles within the church, the unity goes away as well. The unity that we have in Christ is is not the good feeling we get when we come to church. I mean, it's good to have that feeling. It's good to to love coming. It's good to feel warm and fuzzy. But it's the result of. It's not the essence of our unity. The essence of our unity is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ Jesus. We should be expressing our oneness in Christ. We should enjoy being one in Christ, reflecting Christ, embracing our unity in Christ. Our unity is not how we feel. Our unity comes from Christ. See, the church is for God's purpose. It's by God's power. It's for God's glory. It's all about God. It's not about us. How many times have we said, I loved worship this week. I really loved that song that we sang. I just warn you to be careful because it's very easy to begin to say about, I didn't like that song this week. Or, you know, he prayed too long. Or, you know, I was just distracted too much. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to be honest, it really doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what I like. It's not about us. Our worship to Him ought to be pleasing to Him. Whether we're singing praises, whether we're approaching His throne in prayer, studying His Word, we should be striving to delight God. All of these things look different to each of us. We're different. We're a variety. We have different views. But we need to be careful how quickly we look down on and dismiss those worshiping differently than we are or that we like. Churches this morning are worshiping in different styles with different dress, different languages, all to His glory. 
with the desire to please Him. Even here at Grace, we should be embracing the differences that we have. The variety that we represent. Be amazed at the fact that we all come together as a family. And that we do this because of the unity that we have through Christ Jesus. Verse 12. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We have access to God. I mean, access. You have the right or the opportunity to address someone of higher status. The women's ministry will be doing a Bible study on the book of Esther in February. You should sign up now. Free plug. Esther is a great example. In the midst of her story, it's a great example of access. Esther desires to speak with the king, to talk to him about the plan that Haman has. But Esther knows that she's not able just to walk into the king's presence. She's not able to go into the throne room without being summoned because that would mean death. The king does provide her with that ability to access him and gives her the right to talk to him. See, God is holy. And because of His holiness and because of our sinfulness, we cannot stand in the presence of God. But we've been given access. We, we've been given the, the right to stand before God only because Jesus is our high priest. And it gives us access to God the Father. And we have boldness. We have boldness through faith to say what we need to say, to speak openly. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that we can pray and petition with thanksgiving, we can present our requests to God. You can go to the Creator of the heavens with boldness, without concealing anything. You can go to Him and, and turn everything over to God. You can turn over those little things that you just don't think anybody cares to hear about. You can, you can go to Him with the joys that you have. The thank yous. The problems. Struggles. You've been given boldness to do that. We also have confidence in, in Jesus Christ. Because of Him, I'm not afraid. I have confidence through Christ. Boasting in Christ is the opposite of boasting in myself. Because Jesus is the high priest, I can, I can take joy in the fact that, that I'm able to approach God's throne with grace and with confidence, as the writer of Hebrews writes. See, Jesus represents Scott Harrison. He represents you. He's our representative. He's our redemption. He's our reconciliation. Because of Jesus Christ, we can talk to God the Father and we can do so with boldness and confidence. 
For some of you this morning, that might be a great way to start off your new year. Speaking to God with boldness and confidence. You don't have to be afraid. Paul finishes his parentheses with verse 13. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So how should we act? Uh, We're not to be discouraged. Uh, We we need to have courage. And, And not just bravery. But this is a mental toughness. Ulysses S. Grant said that he knew of officers who would risk their lives in battle, but lacked the moral courage that it it took to make decisions for which they would be held accountable. See, we need to have moral courage to to stand up for what we believe. Not to be discouraged, not to be pushed over. We are to be serving God Fully. Paul continues to speak about his sufferings and speaking of sufferings, I am in no way a Dallas Cowboys fan. Like I am not. And but in nineteen sixty nine, Roger Stahlbach joined the Dallas Cowboys. He played ten years for them. Now, Stahlbach is a is a Hall of Fame quarterback and And over the ten years that he played for them, he put up some huge numbers and and was their, their, their face of the Dallas Cowboys. He was once asked about playing hurt. His response was, if you're not playing hurt, you're not playing football. Okay. I think we can say the same thing about living out our faith. You're not living out your faith if you're not running into struggles, if you're not suffering, if you're not constantly pushing the boundaries of what's safe. See, and this again will look differently for each of us. But for some of us, we've just been watching the game. See, now it's time to show some courage get off the sideline, and get into the battle. You've been given boldness. You've been given confidence. You know that it is finished. Courage. James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Sometimes those trials hurt. (laughs) Sometimes it hurts a lot. But we've been provided with the provision and power that we need. We should remember where where Paul is when he's writing this letter. He's he's in prison. If, If Paul had not shown God's grace to the Gentiles, the Jews would not have been hostile towards Him. He might not even have been in prison. His preaching of salvation 
to the Gentiles. His preaching that brought salvation to these Gentiles brought the wrath upon Him from the Jews. And Paul tags us, sufferings for your glory. For your glory. Realize that whatever brings you glory brings glory to God. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I went to Paradise Elementary School uh, through grades, kindergarten through elementary school. Um, Paradise Elementary, which is in Paradise, uh, was not a wealthy school when I attended it. I'm assuming it's still not. Uh, But it was a very old school. Uh, We didn't have a lot of fancy playground equipment. As a matter of fact, we had very little playground equipment, and it was all playground equipment that was metal. And, And better yet, it was on blacktop. It wasn't like you kids have nowadays where it's on grass or mulch. Um, if you fell off the monkey bars, you you broke something. Um, it it was just a, a a very plain sort of playground. But one piece of equipment that we did have on that playground were seesaws, which um, seesaws are a really amazing piece of playground equipment because it's all science. Fulcrum, I believe it is. Um, but, but the great thing about seesaw, well, when you go outside in elementary school to play on the seesaw, the whole purpose of it is just to see if you can hold your partner up in the air longer than he can hold you. So you, you scoot all the way back, so you're almost off, so they're stuck in the air, and then you jump off and they fall <laughs> to the ground. See, at least we all played on it the same way. But the seesaw and its general function was meant that two people would go back and forth and back and forth, or up and down. It doesn't work real well if you put a small child on one end and and a grown adult on the other. It just doesn't quite work as well. But I think the seesaw is a pretty good illustration of, of, of suffering and God's glory. See, our pains and our struggles and our trials just weighs down. And it makes the seesaw lopsided. But as soon as we add God's glory, His rewards, His goodness, and we put it all on the other side, there's no contest. God is so good, and He is so great, and He is so powerful, that those struggles and those trials, and those things that we walk through, ultimately bring Him glory. We have no glory of our own. We only have what is reflected from the light of Christ that shines upon us. That is what we live for. To bask in the light of Christ. To reflect it. To bring it to the world around us. But not for ourselves, but for His glory. All the glory that we receive comes back to Him and He gets the glory. It's a new year and we're all looking for ways to improve. 
to do things better than we have before, to continually grow in our walk in Christ and continually uh, to, to represent Him more and more. So I encourage you to, to reflect on these points, to, to think these through, to write these down. First one is, I will be a part of what God has done in the church. Again, we're so quick to make New Year's resolutions and, and to look how we live and we want to change these things, but, but do we want to be a part of what God has already done in the church? The second thing is, I want to do my part in the church. Hmm. It's easy to, to come to church. It's easy to be a member of church. But I challenge you to do your part in the church. The third thing I have is I will come in confidence in prayer. When you speak to God, when you are praying to God, do you do so with confidence? Do you expect it to be answered? Do you pray for the Red Sea to part? Or do you just not want to bother Him with those things and you'll just worry about those things? Come to Him with confidence in prayer. The fourth thing, the fourth, or fourth thing is, I will experience God's great provision. Embrace it. He meets our needs every day. His Son died on a cross. He's Embrace His provision. Lastly, I will be courageous no matter how difficult it gets. This again will look differently for each of us. For some, it will be just getting out of bed in the morning. For others, maybe you should go home and pack your bag and go somewhere else and spread the Gospel and shine the light of who Jesus is. It looks different for each of us, but we need to be courageous. Maybe you just need to talk to the people you work with. How will this next year be different for you? For your church? For your relationship with the Creator? God is showing the angels in heaven His wisdom through the church that we get to be a part of. We find unity in Christ because of His work on the cross. And we know that it's all part of God's plan. We can approach God with confidence and boldness because of His Son. And in the midst of those sufferings, we know that that glory is all God's. It's a new year. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank You. We thank You for, for what You're doing in each and every one of us. Father, we thank You for what You're doing in Your church. And not just here in Millersville, but Father, Your church around the world. We pray that You would just continue to use us to further Your kingdom. That, that those who we have contact with will 
we'll also see your wisdom. We'll also see your glory. We'll also see your mighty power, your love, your forgiveness, as well as your wrath. Father, we ask that you would just continue to work through us. That you would continue, Father, uh, to do things in our church. That you would continue to do things in our own lives, Father. And we know it's only possible to do these things because of your Son, whom we find unity through. Our Lord and Savior. Amen.